Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the latest in a series of episodes we're recording to celebrate the 50th anniversary of BMW's legendary M performance division. I'm Autocars News Editor Felix Page. Joining me today is Editor-at-Large Matt Pryor. Hello, mate. Uh, how are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, really well. Thank you. Yeah. Fantastic. And we're very pleased to welcome today's guest, Dan Norris, is the Managing Director of Munich Legends, the West Sussex BMW specialist that, I think it's fair to say, it's become a bit of an institution in enthusiast circles. So, morning, Dan. How are you? Morning. I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, yeah pretty well. well. Yeah, pretty well. I think Speaking I think institution you... institution rings a little bit too too, too true some days, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're joining us from France, which looks nicer oh. than here. Uh, I am. Well, yeah, it's it's a nice day today. Yeah, I'm very lucky to be here today. Yeah, beautifully backlit on the screen, isn't it? It's just it's just like a little halo of sunshine around it. Yeah, it feels just like it, Southwest it, London. It, 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 if it was the other side, it'd be pots and pans. So, you know, it's, 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 better, it's better than it's the sea. We'll take it. Um, well, the, the reason we wanted to talk to you, Dan, is because uh, BMW enthusiasts in the UK and internationally sort of see Munich Legends as this uh, sort of uh, halo for, for the brand, really, uh, outside of the company itself. Um, but I learned while, while looking into the business, it's actually older than M, isn't it? Well, uh, technically, yes, it is, I suppose, yeah. Um, we, we, I think uh, Munich Legends... The, the premises is called the Ashdown Garage, and that 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 premises dates back as a BMW outlet to I think '68, so pre BMW UK back when it was uh, when it was all bits of paper and a, a very odd mark. So um, so yeah, in a sense, yeah, we do kind of predate it. I suppose back then BMW in the UK must have been a bit of a, a revolution. I can't imagine any other brand that was on sale back then that would have that was quite like it yeah that would have compared yeah, yeah. so what was on sale back then 1967 the funny thing is that that uh that this all started very badly for bmw and if you think about it if you take yourself back to the late 60s i remember my granddad when i was a nipper in the 70s would not buy a german car mm-hmm. wouldn't entertain it wouldn't buy japanese wouldn't buy german he still had that 
very recent, you know, for them, pretty recent memory of the war. Mm. And on top of that, the, the stuff that BMW are producing looked more like Eastern European, you know, Eastern block cars, very boxy, very square, not very pretty. And and suddenly they're doing things like producing a three litre CSL. So they're suddenly, you know, they're asking thousands of pounds, the same price as a semi-detached house in Woking uh, for a car that nobody really understands. Nobody realizes there's no pedigree there. There's the, the, it's, it's German. There's no dealer network. It's either very bold or very stupid, but somehow they managed to pull it together. Well, it's got to be partly because of cars like that. You know, that was a massive brand shaper, I guess, a brand builder. Um, and they're still doing it today to an extent, aren't they? I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. And what's your, what's your background, Dan? How did, uh, how did Munich Legends come about as, as it is today? So, so I was a client for, for 15 years. I, I ran a telecoms company just literally up the, up the end of the mile straight. And I spent way too much time at Munich Legends, as you can probably imagine, <laughs> on, the, on the basis that they were looking after our company cars. Hmm. Um, and so I, I, it started off with really with me looking for a solution for salespeople as, as, as a, as the, as the sort of sales manager and saying, well, look, rather than buying them leased cars, voxels and, and rubbish that they don't really want, I'll buy secondhand BMWs and that way I'll attract more, you know, higher quality salespeople. And it worked. Hmm. And then of course you get caught up with it all and you, you, you know, suddenly it takes over and I'm there all the time. Um, and there was a the, the the guys that ran the business at the time had a bit of a disagreement. Basically, the directors fell out, and I just sold a division of the telecoms company that I was running, and, and you know, done a good deal out of it. And so I was out to dinner one night with with the remaining director, and sort of giving him probably unwanted advice about how he should run his business. And he just turned around and said, "Well, if you're so clever, then why don't you buy it off me?" Um, so I did, <laughs> and. Uh, it, you know, it was it was one of the, the the bravest or stupidest things I've ever done because because I had no knowledge of running a garage and you know like a lot of people I thought I knew about cars but yeah. you don't really know until you're on the other side of the fence really. Hmm. And is so, that, there is that there is that risk, isn't it? If you if you suddenly start doing what is effectively your hobby for a living, it can spot. I, mean, I know people who've you know worked worked for, with their passion and they've suddenly gone, oh god, this completely ruined my enthusiasm for what I love doing. But but, but that's clearly <laughs> clearly not the case for you. It's the, the, the challenge actually has been trying to focus on making money mm. actually alongside something that you love because, because, you know, I go to, I go to work nearly every day planning to run it like a proper grown up businessman should. And, and then someone turns up in a really nice car and I just say, Oh, look, there's a really nice car. And off I go. And, and we're all a bit like it, you know, because, because we are there for the, for the cars, you know, we're there, we're there for the cars and the people. And, it's very distracting environment, you know, trying to get there and work through your day's worth of that's my list of things to deal with today is, is, it's a constant challenge. And so for for years, well, for years, just trying to, trying to remember that we're there to make a profit. And if we don't make a profit, we won't be there. You know, that's, that's, that's the most difficult part about running any enthusiast business. I think. Just looking at your stock list, it's sort of quite easy to see how you could be distracted, I think. Um, <laughs> but what, what is it about BMW that first attracted you to Munich Legends and sustains your customer base? What do people love about BMW, do you think? I, I think it is, the, it is the cheesy answer that it is the ultimate driving machine. Honestly, I think, I think once you've driven the, you know, the right BMW, obviously they're, you know, they've, they've dropped a few claimers, but by and large, they are geared around people who really know what they want from a car and and people who understand the basics of sort of engineering and traction and you know the the the, 
the traditional layout of rear wheel drive, powerful engine up the front, well balanced chassis. It, it, you know, we sort of repeat these things over and over again. But of course, what that gives you is a car that when you sit in it, you can feel all the corners of it. You feel like you know what it's going to do. It talks to you. And I think any enthusiast is, is going to, whether they can actually quantify that or they can consciously, rationally lay out that's why they like it. A lot of people, I think, just drive it and think, yeah, I just, I get it. You know, as soon as you jump into an Audi or a Merc, I love Mercedes, but the engineering's just not there. And, you know, that's, that's what pulled me. I had a 500 SEC and it broke. Uh, and this is when I was running my telecoms company. And the local hire company had a 525, E34, 525. And on paper, you know, they're not a patch on each other. I mean, the 500 SEC was top, you know, nearly top of the range for Mercedes. And I remember jumping into that E34 and just thinking, well, you know, why is this car so much nicer to drive than, than something that's probably in the showroom four times the price? And, and, and it started there and it never stopped. <laughs> and when you, because, you've, because you will be in and out of uh, BMWs of all ages, when you get in a modern one and you then may jump out into an old one and something halfway in between, do you still think there's that, I hate this phrase, DNA, but do you get that sense that there, there is the same, the, same, the same thread running through them still now? Yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, I do, thankfully. Because yeah. I need to feel that they're still... I still think they get it. And I think... Uh, I've, I've just I've just bought uh, an M6 Grand Coupe in a competition pack. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you look at what an absurd car that is and mm. think that's never going to drive like a sports car. It's never going to drive like a BMW should. And somehow they've pulled it off. And, and even jumping into the G90, the, 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 the four-wheel drive, you know, the, the current M5, it's four-wheel drive. It sh- it, it, it's automatic. You know, it, 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 I thought I was going to hate it. Mm. But... If you've driven one, you'll you'll know that you can't hate that car. It's, no, they, they have still got it. Yeah, yeah, and that M6 Grand Coupe—that's a real, I think, a bit of a sort of slightly underrated gem, isn't it? That I got in one and and like you thought, oh, this is you know, what, what's this going to be like? And it's really good. You suddenly go, oh, this is, this feels like a proper M car. This is great. It's got that folding round you thing where mm. where you forget that you've got this huge thing at the back of you. You know, you feel yeah. like you could be in an M2. It's it's that that's the magic of it. I think that you. You just become at one with the steering wheel, and you're in your little cockpit, and off you go. You know, and you forget that yeah. you've got this hulking, great, big, you know, grand coupe around you. It's it, yeah. it's phenomenal, really. Well, that's a really interesting point because it might be a bit of a controversial topic, really. But fast SUVs make M a lot of money these days. X3 and yeah. X5M. Uh, there aren't any on your forecourt. Do you think they? Do you think they can still do the whole M thing? Do you value them as performance cars? No, uh, I think you just can't. You can't. You can't. A win over physics and I, and I do remember when they launched the x5m they did a drive it day at goodwood and tiffany dell and all that lot were there doing you know um, power laps and stuff and yes you can go barreling into a corner in a in an x6m and, and it feels great until you actually until you try and steer two and a half tons of weight with a high center of gravity round a bend you know it just it's still an suv and, and it still makes you want to be sick <laughs> so <laughs> um I think it's worth them having a go, but um, and there's a there's a place for SUVs in this world, I guess. But uh, but no, I, I do think I, I don't I, I don't think I worry too much about them cheapening the brand. Um, and of course, they stick an M badge on pretty well everything nowadays. Um, but hey, you know, if it if it makes a slight improvement on a on a family a family monster, then fine. It doesn't do any harm. It does it doesn't interfere with what we do. Um, and of course, a lot of our clients will have a practical car. And something naughty on, you know, to, to drive around at the weekends. So you've got to look after them all. Well, that's interesting. I was speaking to Frank Van Meel the other day, CEO of M, 
Uh, and he tells me that there are still a lot of M customers who who track their cars, who are very keen on shaving seconds off lap times, probably not in the X5. Um, um, but do you have a lot of customers who, who come to you and say, you know, I use this brand satch on Saturdays and that's all I do with it? The SUVs? No, the uh, the normal M cars. Um, yeah, we do. I mean, it, we, we so we see every, everybody across the spectrum, really. And, and we've still got a lot of clients that know more about their cars, really, than we do. Mm. Um, and, and that's the bit that I think keeps us all, you know, trying, if you like, because for, for, for a lot of our clients, their cars are the most important thing in their lives next to their, obviously their family. Um, the level of enthusiasm that people still have for their cars and the, and the stuff they want to do to them, it's still, you know, it, it, it still impresses me every day. Um, yeah. and particularly things like M3 CSLs, I mean, they, they're an interesting car cause they've been through that phase of being everybody's favorite weekend weapon um and then of course they get to a certain price and people think well i can't really keep smashing it around the tracks at the weekend so they try and rehabilitate them and sell them but i think there's still a huge demand especially as the roads get harder and harder i mean i, I know it's a cheesy thing to say but because i because i spend a, a bit of time in france i obviously come back to munich re very regularly but being away you come back to england and every time i come back i think these roads are now they're undrivable Mm. Um, so I think that's why people like to go to tracks because basically you can't do what you used to be able to do on the A roads. Mm. And do you know? Do you notice? Have you noticed over the years that customers come to you and are using their cars in different ways today than they than they used to? I mean, the sort of I'm thinking of sort of the car culture you get these days. Where I know you do that. Uh, you know, you do you do car and coffee evenings and things like that. You know, do, is there is there a sense that people are using fun cars differently to how they might have done 20, 20 years ago? I think people spend a lot more money on their cars than they used to. Mm. And, and I think, so So we have this, the, the thing you're talking about is Legends in the Fall, which is this right, yeah. evening we do every September. And and this year, because it's the first time since we've done COVID, I, you know, I didn't know, is anybody going to come back? Has everybody forgotten about us? You know, and of course, it's the opposite. But normally we say to people, get there for about half past six, but people were arriving in dozens, you know, from about five o'clock. And they're turning up in fantastic tune machines, you know, the classic cars that they've converted into track day weapons and kitted them out. There's just everything from, you know, an M5 CS right the way back to, you know, a caged out 2002. And this is what I'm saying. You know, they're clearly much more important. They're growing and growing in stature in people's lives. And they're spending more and more money on, you know, instead of going out and saving up to buy a house, they're spending it on a, on a fancy car. And, you know, car culture is stronger, I think, than it's ever been. Mm. And... It's just growing and growing and growing all the time. Are you a are you a purist when it comes to owning a classic car? Do you like everything to be original, or are you as excited about the caged out two double oh two as the mint factory paint three liter CSL? <laughs> I have to be very careful about how I answer these type of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got you know it's a very personal thing, and I don't I you know I have to emphasise that I don't judge anybody because we get people that that you know to me might not have my taste. It might be appalling taste, but you, it's still their taste and it's what they want to do with their car. And I'm not directly answering the question yet, but it, there's sometimes when I get a really, really low mileage car, you know, you get an E30 M3 that's got 5,000 miles or something on it and you think, well, it's an absolute gem and you publish it on Instagram. 50% of the people go, what a waste, you know, how can that, how, how, it's criminal that the person never uses the car. They'll comment if he, you know, if he keeps it in a garage, in a, in a, in a dehumidified garage and keeps it pristine and, and factory original. But then somebody's always got an opinion if you slam it and light it up underneath and, you know, and, and, and use it to do donuts in car parks. Personally, 
the, the, the joy of only a, a true classic is often in the fact that, you know, tr you know, being nerdy about it and taking it back to exact original spec. But, but at the same time, you know, it, it, I don't think there are any rules. I think, I think, you know, if it's, if you, if you find a car that's got no service history, someone's completely modified it and you still look at it and think, yeah, I don't mind giving 20 grand for that. Just have a laugh in it. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. So I, I think it depends on the car. Yeah. And it's just, it strikes me that with, with car cars, there's there's not enough of us to go round to to start having divisions. Do you know what I mean? I just say, uh, look, you know, we're all we're all spending money on cars, and if we're not, and if people aren't spending money on boats and houses and anything else, you know, that's good. That's fine with me. Have what you like, slam yeah. it, lift it, whatever you want to do. I'm I'm very yeah. happy with that. Yeah. Looking I remember. Through... Um, Sorry, go. On. I, I remember at um, at Gaydon. I don't know if you know the, the BMW Car Club. They do a yearly. Uh, it's quite quite a nice meet. They do it up at up at uh, up at the ground, the, the proving ground up at Gaydon. And I remember last time I went there that obviously you've got the, the, the older school car club types who bring along their Z3M coupes and they line them all up and they're all factory perfect and original and that's great. And then on the other side of the field, you've got these guys, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of guys, you know, sort of West London posse who have spent thousands of pounds and weeks and weeks and weeks of their time kitting out the boot with these amazing stereo systems. And you'll have these guys over here tutting because when they pull away, you know, they're turning up the tunes and everything else. I can look at both those schools. I can look at the guys that have got all this amazing kit in the boot and just, you know, with absolute wonder because they've devoted their lives to it. And it's just the same to me as whether these guys have devoted their lives to keeping their cars original or whether they've devoted it to customising it. It, it, it. You know, as you say, we're all in the same club. We're going through a bit of a strange period for that sort of thing because, you know, second-hand car prices being what they are, there must be less appetite for for modifying your car and presumably your classic E30s and your, your E39 M5s, they're presumably soaring in value at the moment. So is there, what is the appetite for them like at the moment? I think, I think when I think I see the, the classic cars or the, the modern classics, I, I think you've got to see the, the public as a sort of a pyramid and, and, and as a car increases in value, it, it, it moves it up towards the apex of the pyramid. And of course, the pyramid's thinner at the top. There's less people with that money. So I think the only thing that's a shame about the, the rising values, I mean, the rising values are really good for classic cars because it means people can spend money keeping them fresh and keeping them up to date. And they don't feel like they're wasting the money because it stays invested in the car. But the downside of it is it, 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 it's putting a whole strata another, every time there's a, it goes up a chunk, it's a whole strata of people that can no longer afford those cars. And when you look at what people, you know, what people can afford and what they can buy into in the way of modern classics, of course, it's getting thinner and thinner on the ground and you're always looking for the next big thing. But E39 M5s are a good example of that. You know, I can see them uh, within a couple of years of being out of reach of, I say, normal people. I don't know what a normal person is, but you, you know what I mean? It's, it's less fun if you're having to remortgage your house to buy it. Yeah, there is that thought, isn't it? The more you spend on something, somehow the less, the less the bigger the risk you are every time you use it I don't, you know some people own very exotic supercars and then just go i can't use it anymore the risk of you know the risk of taking it on a circuit is just too great or the risk of doing that you know the less you spend on something the more you can thrash the living daylights out of it and it's you know it doesn't really matter does it yeah, yeah. i suppose the problem with old bmws is there's there's not much in the way of sort of undiscovered gems is no, it? Is you know... isn't it yeah that is interesting is there yeah go on so what is what are you what are you thinking about now as the as the next potential thing in the BMW world? 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, well, I mean, uh, I suppose in the, the, the thing that strikes me as a, as a car that people that I think is, is growing in stature but still not growing in price is the E24, the standard E24 635s. Okay. Um, you know, they, they've, they, they tick a lot of boxes for what people are looking for, I think, in a modern classic, and they're still relatively easy to run. You can still get the bits, and they're quite accessible for a lot of people. Um, they're not super fast, um, but, you know, they're still fast enough to have a bit of fun. There's 3.5 litre, you know, they're still... They're still a reasonably sexy car, but of course they've quad headlights and kidney grill, classic look, shark, shark nose, coupe, you know, and I think they're a little bit overlooked because they sort of had a bit of a stuffier image, but I'm okay. noticing that they're starting to appear in more and more videos, um, you know, young young people's music, you know, they're starting to sort of, there's a new generation of people. I see it with E30s, funnily enough, as well, standard E30s. Uh, I find it really encouraging that, that, that because, because, you worry that car culture is going to die, and and as as kids grow up now, being told that cars are evil, and you know, encouraged to get on electric bikes and God knows what, you know, I still think it's good that there are people out there that see the sort of charm in these in these sort of classics. And so I think, yeah, something like a, I would I would tip a, an E twenty four six three five as being a pretty cool, pretty easily accessible modern classic. Really, yeah. I'd like to say E twelve M five three five I has always been one that I think people missed. Um. But there's so few of them around that you, the chance of you finding one to to pick up are, are pretty slim. Yeah. Do you do you go do you actively seek things like that? You know, it's sort of not barn finds necessarily, but you know, you, do you always have people out on the lookout for uh, you know un, for, for for cars squirrelled away somewhere that you know that 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 need a bit of need a bit of titillation and bring back to bring back to life. Yeah, I mean, it's a holy grail, isn't it? Everybody wants everybody wants to find that barn find that's just got that perfect layer of dust, and underneath the dust <laughs> is a perfect line. No just, rust and everything. Yeah, they're my favourite one. I love, I love the thing that I still get the biggest kick out of is is a, a wreck turning up and, and and looking at it and thinking, brilliant, that looks like a wreck, but I can see through that and I can see a beautiful car in there. And it's always the most exciting when you go and give it to the, the valeting team and say, right, you know, go and just make that as amazing as you can make it look, and it comes back to you you know, a week later and it just, it's gleaming. I still think, uh, I mean, I, I went out looking for an E12 M535i because I wanted one for myself. I, I still want one. I still buy one if I find one. And, you know, the problem is, is that I've still got to have one eye on on it being a, a reasonable investment. I don't, I don't need to make money on it if I'm going to keep it for myself. But, you know, I like to think that I'm not going to completely have my pants pulled down. Mm. 
and unfortunately every single one that I looked at was was beyond what I would call economical repair okay because you want some relativity relativity between what the car's worth and what you spend on it really mm. if, if, if for no other reason than to justify it to your to your wife or to your to your friends or whatever you know <laughs> when it comes to speaking about value for money when it comes to restoring cars that you, you in-house how do you balance you know making them factory fresh with still making some money on them you know there's got to be a line you know do you reach a standard and you think right let's stop there because there's there's still some money to be made in this most of the time we're restoring cars on on you know on, on commissioned commissioned by the owner mm. and I think we've been through various waves where we were talking about this the other day, actually, at, 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 at the showroom, where, of course, ideally, you could buy your project car, you can restore it. And then at the end, you've got a car that's worth, you know, A plus B equals C. Mm. And there was a period, perhaps with three litre CSLs, for example, which was the car we were talking about, where you could buy a reasonable project car, spend the money on you know, parts availability, not having to have things made by hand, assemble the car, and it's kind of worth what you spent on it. I think we're we're back in. Unfortunately, what I've seen over the last two or three years since Brexit, I think what's what's happened is the costs of restoring a car have soared much much faster than the values of the cars. Again, so we're we're, we're out of sync again. And if people want to restore a car properly, they they have to spend way way more than than a sensible. But you know, you have to open your checkbook and basically be ready for for whatever's coming. Nine times out of ten, you know, you, you start off with a with a reasonable idea of what you want to achieve, but you don't really know where it's going to end until you've taken it to bits, put it in boxes, labelled it all, and then put it all back together again. Which presumably makes the concept of just going and spending seventy five grand on a new M three that works out of the box. There is something to be. I mean, I know it's not how I own cars, but I do, there is that thing, isn't it? That if if you just buy something, you just pay us. You pay, you know how much you're paying every month. You don't necessarily own in inverted commas the car but you don't own anything that goes wrong with it either it's just you know i, I get why people i get why people and you can it. park it outside the station and not worry about yeah but i mean it's not how i own the car but i, I do understand why people i think they're, they're, they're really different really different concepts yeah. of car ownership you know fund, at a fundamental level what i see and what i'm seeing now i'm seeing a, a, um guys who perhaps were in their school years in that sort of purple patch of the 80s mm. you know so so i'm 51 coming up and you know i remember those those fantastic cars that sort of were the birth of of of, of this culture we're talking about you know um everything from peugeot 205 gtis and renault 5 turbos and and and, and all that era of of cars that were suddenly sexy and i see that that age group of people now coming of age where they've got you know they've got their house they've probably got a second house and they've got some spare cash and the excitement of them of taking a school you know a schoolboy dream mm and building it up from scratch completely to their design so they can choose the colour of the paint, they can choose the interior, they can choose how the engine's tuned. We're, we're doing a, an E30 M3 Europameister at the moment for, for a guy. And by and large, for example, he's sticking to factory spec, but then he's breathing on the engine, so he's, he's basically trying to do a, a sport Evo spec uh, with you know carbon fibre air intake and, 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 and all these kind of embellishments. And you can see that the more he's doing, the more he's getting really, really into this car <laughs> that is a complete and utter one-off. And I think for him, I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a, a daily run around an X7 or something like that. You know, he's that type of guy, he's a professional guy. And then he's got something in his garage, which is utterly unique, that he's kind of had a massive part in, in putting together, together with us, you know, so it's got the Munich Legends sort of cachet with it. And I can really see the appeal in, in something that is completely unique. But, but, you know, wherever you go, people are going to stop you and admire it. And it's just, you know, I, I get it. But they're two completely different experiences. 
do your, do your technicians uh, get as excited about the new stuff as, as the older stuff? Can they work on both? Yeah, I think it's often different technicians that have different fortes and different, you know, the different preferences. But I think there's enough going on at BMW that you st- there's still plenty to get excited about. Um, you know, even even standard modern M2s. The M2 is a fantastic little machine. It's it's to me, it's the E46 M3 reborn. Uh, even just the standard non-competition pack ones. They're just a wicked little car. You know, I I, I think I'm a bit concerned that that M cars don't have that individual hand-built feel, of course, that they used to have. But go back to the M6 Grand Coupe. It's a it's a faultless machine, and it's very hard not to get excited about a thing like that. Are you excited? You about know, I still get that. I still get those butterflies and that jittery feeling when you drive it. You know, I mean, that's all you're asking for, isn't it? Are you excited? About, well, inevitably, M cars will have to go electric. We've seen, we've had a taster, haven't we? The i4, yeah, the i4. M50. 50. 50. Um, mm. So, you know, in 10, 15 years, will they be on your forecourt? I don't know. I, 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 that's that's a big question being thrown around a lot at the moment. We, we had. Um, so for, for the Legends in the Fall evening, we had the usual displays of, you know, M1s and, you know, we're trying to do a 50 years of M kind of setup. But then we thought we'd throw a little curveball into the action. So on the actual forecourt, we put the uh, G90 M5 next to the i4 M50. And, of course, you've got a lot of people coming in and going, oh, electric cars, you know, and the usual thing. And then you just, so we deliberately did say, OK, there's there's the keys, if you like. Just go up and down the straight and come back and see see what you think. And, you know. It just blew everybody. Well, you can't you can't not be blown away driving that i4 M50. So from so so I got two heads here. I've got my my commercial business head that's asking, you know, what the future looks like for Munich Legends. But as a, as a car enthusiast, I think electric cars have got plenty to plenty to say. You know, there's plenty plenty going on there. You know, I love the, I also love the idea of the silence of it all. You know, I, I love brilliant sounding cars that you know wonderful V8s and beautiful exhaust notes and air intake and all the rest of it, but also love the idea, you know, the sort of sci-fi aspect of getting in a car that, that's phenomenally quick, like that i4 M50, and also, you know, eerily quiet and a bit, yeah, a perfect machine basically. So, so, so I can imagine an awful lot of people will be investing in a classic car to offset the boredom of having an electric car. Um, and of course, if they're going to come to Munich Legends for one, they might as well come for the other. So, I'm guessing that we'll have to do electric and be enthusiastic about it yeah. just as much as petrol. Yeah. Do you get many? Uh, do you get many Alpinas coming through? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, yeah uh, from from all ages actually, right right across the spectrum. And they, uh, although less modern ones probably. Yeah, and do they get a different kind of buy a different kind of enthusiast who likes that? I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking now. BMW's taking Alpina in house. Whether actually electrification rather suits an Alpina with the hush and the sort of reservedness <laughs> and everything else. Well, there's two types of Alpina. Mm. Of course, there's the there's the original stuff that they were turning out in the sort of mid '80s, which which is everything but uh, you know smooth and and elegant and and refined, which is what they later sort of picked pick, picked up that type of client. But if you look at the E34, you know the B10 by Turbo, that's that's an absolute mad monster. You know, even even more mad than the M5. So it's weird, you know. Alpina have 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 metamorphosized over the years from from you know pure race bred you know nutcase cars right the way through to modern diesel tourings which you know which in in recent years is what they made all their money from so i do i do see a different type of buyer i, I think there's um 
it's a very interesting question because, of course, they're all under the BMW umbrella, mm. but people who buy M cars are often really quite different in terms of what they're looking for from people that buy Alpinas. Mm. The, the the problem with Alpinas is their residuals and, you know, the values. They, you know, I think people often buy them thinking they're rare, mm-hmm. you know, unusual, very, very low numbers made, and therefore, you know, the values are going to be high and strong and, and reliable, and they're not, unfortunately. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realise that. Yeah, because but I've yeah. sort of got this outside perspective. I've never driven an Alpina, so I've never really had it shown to me how different they are from an M car. But that that contextualizes it quite nicely. I think yeah. it used to be a bit of a hooligan brand, and now it's. Well, you you spoke to the boss of Alpina, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah a couple of months ago. Yeah, and, and they just you know they just said that, you know you know there's so there are so many risks with you know because they have to take such a financial risk of how many of these cars are we going to make and do enthusiasts really want an electric Alpina given that they might drive on the autobahn at high speed from you know one German city to 300 miles to another and then the Japanese still like diesels they think about diesels as we did in 2005 you know they like a high spec high performance thing and they're just like you know if we get it wrong the risks are immense and BMW came to them and said well why don't we have it and they went yeah okay so they'll do Alpina Classic yeah and still restore stuff and look after things but and yeah, it's an interesting. I oh, just it's an interesting brand. I think, Dan. What's your if you are dreaming up your ideal BMW slash M slash Alpina? What does it look like? Well, it's interesting. I've got a bit of a bone to pick with the old Alpina because they don't look after their classic clients. Oh, and really? I think, you know, yeah. I mean, we've had we've had some really difficult adventures with um, uh, E12, for example, E12 B7S mm. Turbo. Which, which I think might be the sexiest car I've ever seen, um, uh, but but they have real electronic problems. They have they have real issues, and, and Alpina don't want to help. And we, we've had cars that are basically you've got a choice between either modifying it so it's no longer original and no longer a proper Alpina by mm. effectively redoing the engine management system, or the car doesn't run ever again. Um, so it's been a bit sad, really, mm. because I've I've seen uh, two. One one was an E24 B7S Turbo. One was an E12. And you look at those cars and think they are seriously special machines. But Alpina would, would just adamantly refused to help and refused to get involved in in what we needed them to do. Mm. And they're difficult to get parts for. Um, you know, it, 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 I I think that that those early cars, those those sort of 80s cars, were were the sort of things that, you know, M kind of copied what Alpina were doing. Mm. You know, it's Alpina that were first putting completely mad engines into sensible-looking family mm. saloons. Uh, okay, they dressed them up. They were hardly sensible by the time Alpina had finished yeah. with them. But, you know, that, I think, gave the impetus to, to, to M to develop things like the M5. And obviously, you know, since then, they've never looked back. And, and it's weird that Alpina kind of kicked it all off and then M took, took over and Alpina ended up making... You know, cuddly diesel tourings. Yeah. So, um, I, 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 it's impossible for me to land down at one one car. But I mean, it, it, I think classic-wise, I think uh, for me, the the three-liter CSL has never been it's 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 never been better. BMW just produced the most elegant, lovely, uh, beautiful driver's car, and and you know, it's something I'd never sell. It's something I'll have until I die, I'm sure. Mm. So so it's uh, so I'd probably pick a three-liter CSL. I'd probably pick a uh, a B7S Turbo, that E12, which was just amazing. And I think I'd probably just, at the moment, the mood takes me to say the Grand Coupe. 
But if you ask me again in a week, it'd be a completely different set of answers. Yeah. <laughs> what about some of the smaller stuff? We talked about lots of the saloons and the SUVs, but I noticed on the site you've got a couple of sweet Z3Ms, which I, I quite saw one of them yesterday. And I thought, actually, that's, that's a really nice looking car. Yeah, so, you, you know, is there a market for that still? Yeah, the Z3Ms, I mean, they're wicked little things, really. They've been classic cars since they were new. I remember, I remember seeing them in the showrooms and just thinking, what on earth is that? You know, and it, and it hasn't really changed. I think... Um, I think, you know, they're they're a fascinating car because they put spotlight on a period of time at, at BMW M where they could do stuff like work on a project in the evenings. I don't know how much of it's legend, but I think the story goes that this wasn't even approved by the board. It was just a bunch of blokes staying behind after work, souping up a car that wasn't particularly, you know, wasn't exactly the best selling car in the range. And they thought, well, let's make an M car out of it. And we'll chuck a load of bits out of the parts bin on the car and then we'll go and see the board when we kind of put a prototype together and they said yeah go for it so we made a thousand of them or something you know and it's just that that would never happen today i don't think um but a company that size at that time that, that were that ambitious worldwide that was still commissioning projects like that i think is was was what made them such a fascinating company i think that's the thing they've lost a little bit in their quest for global glory yeah yeah it's hard to imagine a z1 today isn't it which are what are they? What are they, I've never driven one, but what are they? What are they like? Well, um, I have to be diplomatic in my answer. <laughs> um, that good. That, <laughs> that they, they appeal to people because of their their you know off the wall quirkiness. Um, they they're a bit underpowered. I mean, they could they, they did they did I think eight Mosselman turbos, which which are a bit more lively. Um, but I think what people like about them, I think they're a very ownable classic car. You know, they don't rot. Um, mechanically, you know, they're built on a very, very reliable platform. You know, the, it's basically an E30, and the, the, the M20 engine is very, very robust. Um, the, the Achilles heel is the, the, is, is the fact, ironically, that they don't rust because they've got plastic panels. But unfortunately, most of the panels crack. And that, that, right. the way that they're actually fixed onto the car is, do you remember they had this thing that you could change the color and oh, change of course. the body panels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a nice idea. Um, the, the, where the front wing's fixed to the car, there's, I think, three fixing points. And, of course, as the car flexes, being mm. a convertible, it's flexing a lot. Mm. And as it flexes, it just it fishes the wing and uh, usually through the fixing point. So, yeah. so it makes it unfixable. And then, of course, BMW have decided not to produce any of the panels mm. anymore. So, so, but apart from that, it's a very ownable car. It's, it's really, really cheap to run, really cost-effective to own. And... Wherever you go, you're going to have a conversation with people about it. Yeah. And I think the people that buy them are are buying them because it's just something really different that you don't see, you know, don't see anywhere else. Big, Even though they made thousands of them. The biggest risk with a Z1 was always falling out halfway through a corner, <laughs> door. wasn't it? The doors, if you'd forgotten to put the doors up. Um, or trying to get trying to get in it without losing your dignity. I mean, if you if you've ever tried to get into a Z1 with the roof up, even with the door down, it's just there's actually we, we've got one in the showroom at the moment and. In amongst the paperwork was was something that I, somebody's obviously saved out of a magazine and laminated, and it's like a a step by step. Maybe there's twelve photos of a, of, of a lady trying to get into a, how to get into your Z1 and maintain your dignity. And basically, by the time you get to the end, you realise you can't. Yeah, that would explain why I can't remember the last time I saw one with a roof on. I, can't, I couldn't tell you. I've only ever seen like. one. I think. No, I've only exactly. ever seen one. I've only ever one. seen them photographed with it down. Yeah. Brilliant looking car. I think it's one of those times where you, you make sure you're wearing matching underwear because <laughs> you know if you're if you're if you're a lady yeah. because you, it's 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 not the most elegant uh, entry and exit. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, on that note, I think um, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, that's been 
it's been fantastic to hear from you. Great to get a little bit of insight. I think I'm going to spend probably the rest of the day on on your website. Yeah, the rest of the working day oh, is thanks, ruined, guys. isn't it? Thanks. Yeah, that's the last thing. No, well, thank, thank you for having me on. It's, it's, it's my first podcast. It's been is fun. Is it? It's been a great pleasure, Dan. Thanks so much. It won't be your last, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I'll have to pop down as well, I think. <laughs> uh, thanks, everybody. You'll be most welcome. Yeah, thank you, mate. And uh, thank you for listening to this Autocar podcast. There are more of these on your favourite pod provider, and you can contact us about any of them at autocar at haymarket.com. We're at autocar.co.uk all the time in news agents every Wednesday on digital subscription and on the YouTube as well. Like and subscribe. All right. Thanks very much. See you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.